This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Well, we start a new study tonight. It's the study of the book of Daniel. Somebody said to me last week, hey, I don't think I've ever studied the book of Daniel. Well, buckle up. We're going we're gonna to study the book of Daniel. Great book. Great. Uh, the, the uniqueness of Daniel is the first half of it are, is stories, historical stories from the Babylonian captivity. We'll talk about that in a minute. The second half of it is all visions and uh, apocalyptic uh, visions and signs of the end times and prophecies that are fulfilled, that are fantastically fulfilled to the day almost uh, that Jesus, yeah, to the day that Jesus is, uh, comes. And so we'll look at some of those. We should be a good study. We, in this book, there are visions of angels. There we, dis- we will discuss intercessory prayer we will discuss the end of the world. We will discuss the Great Tribulation. We will discuss, uh, let me think, uh, the Gentile kingdoms that were to come after Nebuchadnezzar that were predicted uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before that happened. We, we, are, we are looking at those and seeing uh, God's word fulfilled right before our very eyes, even at this moment. And, we're, and so we'll see all that. We'll also see the workings of God, in the first half of the book, we'll see the workings of God. And so, uh, in the lives of Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some people you know, and we'll take a look at those stories and see if there's something beyond Sunday school. Amen? Something beyond Sunday school that God wants us to to learn about in these stories. And so, uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to look at the whole first chapter. It's not that long. It's only 21 verses. And so, um, we're going we're gonna to look at it. It's a powerful uh, chapter of Scripture. And uh, my, my thing is circulating, so I'm going to have to walk over here because i got got no Wi-Fi here. Huh? No, it's not going to help me because it's got... Raise your arm in the air like you just don't care. Oh, there it is. It worked, yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You never know. Yeah, it's pretty, that was pathetic. I mean, prophetic, yes. So, uh, so we're here in Daniel chapter 1, and we need to understand the, the times that it's written in. I'm trying to figure out if I should read this beforehand. I'll, I'll, let's read it, read the chapter, and then we'll, we'll go right into what's going on in the chapter. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, a chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. 
He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, the, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, uh, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the king, he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all the kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of, time, of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So we're looking at a historical background. Now what happens is Israel is... The, there are two, three big kingdoms in biblical history. Uh, there is, I'm a, I'm a, this, imagine this is the map, okay? Down here, yes, down here, no, down here is Egypt, right? Egypt is down here. Uh, Sea of Galilee, River Jordan there. So, yes, yeah, so down here is Egypt. Up here is Assyria. And uh, over here is Babylon. Israel's right in the middle. So in 722 B.C., remember we're counting backwards, we're counting towards zero. So as time goes on, 722 happens, and then the year 600 happens, and then the year 500 happens, and you know, it's going backwards because that's the way history was, was counted up. So in 722 B.C., long ago, the northern kingdom of Israel which divided from underneath Solomon's kids, the northern kingdom had backslidden so far that they were overtaken by Assyria. They were conquered by Assyria. Assyria came in and grabbed a bunch of the, the Israelites and, and took them all off to Assyria, to Nineveh, and they were captured there. And so they, they were there for a while, and Assyria was the ruling uh, army. 
And then uh, Egypt and Assyria got into it, and so Egypt came up and attacked Assyria, and then Egypt became the dominant power. And then Egypt became, and each time they do this, they're marching through Israel. Israel is like the doormat of the Middle East. Everybody marches through Israel to, to make these attacks. So Egypt comes up, and in the Valley, valley of Megiddo in, in 605, they now battle. They, they now have to battle Bab, Babylon. So Babylon comes. Babylon was subject to Egypt, but now, but, but now Babylon and Egypt have this, uh, this clash. And finally, Babylon wins that clash, and now they, uh, they overtake Israel, Assyria, and Egypt. And so everyone has to pay taxes now to Babylon. The winner takes it all. You, you kind of understand that, right? The winner takes it all. Okay, so that's really important because for the first three years, Israel pays the taxes that they have to pay to Babylon because they're afraid of getting wiped out. Jehoiakim is a young king. He's only been in, in he's like in his 20s. And so he's obedient to this. And then Egypt and, and Babylon get into it again. And then Jehoiakim says, hey, I'm going to not pay taxes to Babylon because if Egypt wins, then I'm going to have to owe Egypt money and that I've already paid to Babylon and I only got so much money, so I'm holding on to this money. And, but Egypt doesn't win. And Babylon does win. And then Babylon comes into Israel and says, okay, we're going to take over some of these, these young people that are in, in this. And so they come in and they capture the best and the brightest of Israel. And they take them captive and they take them all the way back to Babylon. That's where this comes down to. And it's all because it all came down to money. That's what, what really made it, made it happen. It all came down to money. So they, they're captured and they're brought into that, into that place. And is, Israel is so, so uh, rebellious to Babylon that Babylon will attacks them in 604 B.C., then Babylon will come into, the, in, into Israel again and take another group of people in five, the whole next generation, 586, they'll come in and get them. And then, or 596, I'm sorry. And then 10 years later, they'll come in and get another group of people. Each time, they're, because that, they're just crushing these rebellions that are rising up. And so it's not until Cyrus comes, comes along as king that they can ask uh, Cyrus the Persian, they can ask if they can go back and rebuild the walls, and you know, that's the book of Nehemiah. Okay, so I'm trying to put this in biblical perspective here, so you understand how this how this goes. So, uh, so how do we understand the exile? Well, it's important that Daniel is trying to explain the exile, and I think the key is in the first couple verses. There, look what it says in verse two. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to, to the temple of his God in Babylonia and, that, and put in the treasure house of his God. So it's important to notice that there's treasure now being confiscated. The treasure from the temple treasury is being confiscated and brought back to Babylon, and it's all being brought back there so that they can, they can account for these taxes that they're owed, the subjugation fees and all that. So they're, they're coming to, to keep them oppressed. All that to say, look Looky there, what it says in verse number two. Look, look what it says. Who gets blamed for this attack? The Lord. The Lord delivered them over. The Lord gave it over. The Lord, and, and really the, 
the signal of, of the signet, signature of the book of Daniel is that God reigns. That God is over everything in, in history. That history is really his story. That it's, it's God's story being revealed. And so this all happened so that, it, not by accident, but it happened because of something that they did. And Daniel is unashamed to put the blame where the blame lies. The Lord allowed this to happen. Now, there were people probably, almost, un, almost certainly, there were people who were saying, the devil has done this. This is not God's will that this happened. Daniel is in complete denial of that. Daniel is saying, God did this. It's important to recognize that. Now, God, God visits judgment on, on the, the body of people uh, frequently. Frequently. Remember the story of, uh, we just talked not too long ago about the walls of Jericho. The following, the next chapter, it, God tells them when they're going into Jericho, don't touch any of the gold, don't touch any of the, uh, of the fine raiment, don't touch any of that. And then the story of Achan's sin is that Achan went in there and, and the, remember, not a single life was lost in the battle of Jericho. This formidable a city, not a single life is lost. After, unbeknownst to the people of Israel, Achan has this has this uh, has this uh, coveting of these things. He hides them, confiscates these things that are the Lord's. They've been given over to the Lord. They belong to the Lord, and so God he puts them in there. And then they go off, and then suddenly now, thirty six men go get killed while they're fighting. In fact, this. The the city that they were going to fight, Ai, I believe it was, as as they're going up there, that city is so small that they don't even bring the full army. But as they bring those people up there to fight the battle, thirty six people, Israel gets its tail whipped, and the thirty six people are are killed. That means seventy two parents grieving, you know, one hundred and forty children without parents, whatever, all that. So we, we see all that, that that, that's, that that happens in order to get the, the attention of Israel. And God says, if you go back to Joshua, God says, Israel sinned. This is important for us to, to recognize that in biblical thought, the part equals the whole. And the whole equals the part. It's called corporate reality. In other words, when Achan sinned, perfect justice, perfect American justice would be God would send an arrow from heaven and it would pierce the heart of Achan the moment he coveted, right? The moment he coveted and he would be dead right away. That's perfect American justice. That's not the way God deals with things. God says, okay, here, this is something horrible. People's, you know, Achan, no doubt, is going to have to pay a price. But in the meantime, 36 innocent men die because of Achan's sin. Because they are a part of Israel. And because they're a part of Israel, they, are, they can no longer be under the blessing because one part of that, of that uh, the corporate reality has brought... Uh, the, the inability for God to bless that. Uh, to, if, you have your, if you have your Bible, turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to show you something in the New Testament. You see, they were touching something. Achan was touching something that was devoted 
to the Lord. Right? Where did I say to turn? <laughs> Thank you. Gosh, I'm talking and turning, and I don't even know what I'm doing here. Okay, so, so, uh, so they cannot, they cannot win the battle because they are being judged. Now look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, down towards the bottom of the, or right in the middle of the chapter, verse 17, it says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for in your meetings, your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together, as the, a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there has to be differences among you to show which, which of you have God's approval. And when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. <coughs> excuse me. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for, some, for anyone else. Uh, one remains hungry, another gets drunk. Why don't, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Then he goes into the communion thing. And, then, and he says, look at it in verse 27. Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and, and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Actually, this whole idea that is that the judgment comes not just on himself, but on the entire church. And so this is what he says. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number, number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. You notice that? So what does it mean to when he says to, to, to judge the, or he says to... Uh, to recognize the body of the Lord, he's not talking about the, the, the bread and the juice. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the corporate body. If you're not treating them correctly then and esteeming them for who they are, brothers and sisters in Christ, the, people, the very people who you're going to spend eternity with, if you're, if you're not honoring them, if you're dishonoring them, then you bring judgment not only on yourself but on, on the entire body. And that's why many in the body, he says, are sick and weak, and are, are, are dying. So, so death and sickness and weakness are coming to the church, because, or at least uh, Paul says it here, because of the single, the single actions of a few, the entire church is suffering the same kinds of things. We see, we see this uh, in the book of Revelation. You have a few among you who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Snap out of it, or I'll come snuff out your, your candlestick. I'll, I'll close down your church. You know, why? Because the actions of a few affect the entirety of the corporate. So when you sin, you're affecting me. When I sin, I'm affecting we. Right? So we're interplaying between each other. So when Israel sinned, no matter how many of them were, were sinning, Israel sinned, and, the, and God could not honor them anymore, and could not to the point where He could not treat them as His people. And so Babylon came in and grabbed up the the whole of the nation of Israel was decimated because of the sins of a few within in the corruption and all the you know the different things that were happening in Israel at the time. So the weakness of the body of 
Israel was due to the sins of the people of Israel. But not everyone didn't esteem God. Not everyone wasn't living out to, their life to honor God. But it doesn't make any difference because in divine justice, in the way that God sees divine justice, the many are the few and the few are the many. Okay? That's a biblical concept. You see it over and over in the Scripture. You see time and time again. So, so what I'm saying, why I'm saying that to you is because it, we have to understand how, how could it be that God is behind the overthrow? Because God says, I will take this costly thing and I will make this a lesson for the people of God to learn. I will make it so that, thank you, hon. I will make it so that the people of God have to learn this. And so he is, he is willing to, to capture this. And that's why the prophet Daniel is writing all this down. So that every one of the people of God can receive the teaching, his training, uh, of, uh, and learn from the lesson of those in the, in, in the, in the book of, uh, of Daniel. So they come and they grab, in verse 4, it, it describes the, these young men they grab. Men without physical defect, check. Handsome, check. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified. This is the best of the best, the best and the brightest. They're going to come in, they're going to put them into the Babylonian college system. Three years of a free education, probably they become eunuchs. That means they have to, they're a little bit lighter as they go into college. But uh, they become eunuchs and, and, they, and they go into this, this process and now they, they are... Um, they're learning the language of, of Babylon and they're learning the literature of Babylon. In other words, they are taken over by Babylonians, brought to Babylon, and it's important for us to kind of recognize that this is exactly what the Babylonians wanted to do. They come in to get the money and the shields and the, and the treasures of the articles of, the, of the, uh, the temple. They take those things and they put them in the temple treasury of their God. They do that because... That, that, the purpose of that is to surrender that, them to, to their God. To bring them into knuckle, it's like spiritual warfare. God allows the, the, this, this treasure to be brought in there. And also, he allows these four Hebrews to go there with the purpose and the intent that they will bear witness, I guess, in, in this place. There has to be a purpose in it for, for God to do it. So then it says... And it's super important for us to recognize that's what the enemy always wants to do. He always wants to surrender you over to the gods of this world. He always wants to take you captive and put you into the, into the treasury of the gods of the world. The devil is never happier than when you're just shut up in his, his, his place where he's holding on to you where you're not fighting, you're not resisting. And, and so look, look what happens. They, they get these three new names, right? Or four new names. Daniel, his name is turned to Belteshazzar, right? Mishael is turned into Meshach. Uh, 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 Abednego is the name for uh, Azariah. And so, did I forget one? Yeah. And so Shadrach. So, so what do those names mean? And here's the revelation, and I, I want you to get this. The revelation of this is powerful. Daniel's name means protected by Bel. Bel is the name of the deity of, of Babylon. So, uh, so 
Daniel, who's a servant of the Most High God, now comes into Babylon and he's taken captive into this, into this worldly system and they immediately say, you will be protected by our God, by Bel. And so they, that's his name. That's what they call him every day. How many times do they, you call your name? Wayne walked in, in on the other side over there and about 16 guys all called, Wayne, 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 Wayne. Uh, Imagine if, okay, now imagine that. If there's somebody's calling your name, imagine your name's not Wayne. We stop calling you Wayne and we say, we say you're going to be protected by a false god that we name. And suddenly, everywhere you go for years, you're being, called, you're being pounded down in your mind by this is who your new identity is. You're protected by Bell. You're protected by Bell. See, the enemy always wants you to think that he's going to keep you safe. When in reality, reality, you are never more vulnerable than when you're in his care. The next uh, name that's changed is given, he's given the name Shadrach. Shadrach means very fearful. This is another thing the enemy always tries to do to erode your confidence in who you should be as, as a, a, a man or a woman of God. He tries to fill you with fear. So you depend upon the world, you depend upon the, the, the kingdoms of this world to be your, survive, your survival, or, or, and, and, or you're full of fear. You're full of fear, so you don't know who to trust. And so the enemy plants that, and it becomes your identity. Remember, this is their identity. So you, you, they changed his name to fearful. Shadrach is now fearful. It's like, you know, a sleepy, dopey, remember the, 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 the seven dwarfs? Well, well, these are the four Hebrew children, and their names have been changed to, to these, these uh, traits that are not uh, becoming, and they're lies. Listen, every single psychological problem begins with a lie. Every single Psychological problem begins with the lie. Now that was good preaching. I have to high-five myself. Every single mental disorder comes when we believe a lie. We believe we're great or we believe we're puny. We believe we're worthy of love or we believe we're unlovable. Right? And so we believe that we're safe and nothing can harm us, or we believe that we're vulnerable beyond compare, and we live in fear. I heard a pastor friend of mine one time say on the radio, I was listening to his radio show, and he said, people who lose their minds are either living in the future or they're living in the past, but they're not living in the present day. Wow, that's a revelation right there. Just, stay, just keep doing what God is telling you to do every day and keep your identity in God and you'll be a healthy person. You'll have a healthy mind. You'll have the mind of Christ. Jesus isn't off thinking, of, oh, someday I'm going to be the king of glory. Or he's not living back, I remember how I was in heaven. Jesus is dealing with life as it is this day with Peter and what's his name and this guy and that guy. He's dealing with that stuff because there's enough each day, Jesus said, has enough trouble for itself, right? One of my favorite verses. Each day, how many of you have found that to be true? Every day has enough trouble that you don't need to worry about tomorrow's trouble. That's the truth. So, so Meshach, the third one, he, it says 
that, that his name now is changed to Meshach, Mishael is, is changed to Meshach, and he is, his name means of little account. Nothing. You are nothing. The devil wants you to be fearful. He wants you to be nothing. He wants you to be dependent upon the wrong God. The fourth guy is uh, Abednego. Abednego means slave. So imagine now, these are the best and the brightest of the people of Israel snatched out of that, and now he sends them off. Well, you're, you're nobody. You, you should be afraid. You should, you, you're really no, nobody of any consequence. You sh- and, and so they, he changes this, you're browbeaten down with this name that just showers you with negativity, and you are, you are you see, if you just wallow in that, It'll change the way you think about yourself. There's something to be said. Faith does think positively. Right? Now, the essence of faith is not simply thinking positively. There has to be belief behind that faith. But faith thinks positively. Faith doesn't look at, at the future and say, it's all bleak. You know, it, that faith has to be able to see beyond the circumstance and see, but God. But God can change that. But God has me here for a reason. But God, but but they're beating down the, the people of Israel by by pounding into their brains, or especially these four, pounding into their brains who they are. And they're never will be used, their, ne- their Israelite name, their Hebrew name, is never used for the most part on their life ever again, maybe amongst each other. And so Daniel now is. Belteshazzar. Now in the book, he's referred to as Daniel, of course. So, but when we see the, the, the three Hebrew children thrown into the fiery furnace down the, down the way, it'll be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are in the furnace, right? These would be nothing and less than nothing and fearful and slave. Are they there? In, they're in the furnace. Well, how could they ever? But they have to. This is why this preaches to me. Because the world is trying to define you as old-fashioned, fuddy-duddy, you know, foolish, an idiot. You're, 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 you're not progressive. You're not, you're not scientifically schooled. They're trying to put you down and tell you who they think you are. But that doesn't change who you really are. Who you really are is who God called you to be. And you don't have to listen to the, the epitaphs that they put on you. you don't have to, the, the jacket that they hang on you. You don't have to listen to that. You have to know who you are. The people, we will read this later on, the people who, are, who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. That's what the scripture says in Daniel. So this, all this negativity that's pounded into them to try to conf- make them conform. I remember reading a, a story about a young man who was involved in a cult. And the cult was, the, the, the way the cult worked is they wanted to get you into the cult and they wanted to get you to where you completely surrendered. So they would, they would cut the bottom out of a garbage can and they would hook suspenders into the garbage can. They would strip you naked, put you in the garbage can. So you were walking around with a garbage can hanging on suspenders around you and shave your head bald so that you look just like every other person within that cult. And the person, when someone addressed you, you had to say, I'm garbage, don't talk to me. 
And, 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 there, and what that did was it broke down the self-identification, the will of that person. It shattered them so that they could rebuild their life in the way that they wanted to rebuild that life. Well, you can't let anyone else rebuild your life. You have to let God be, be rebuilding your life. But the enemy is trying to do that same game on you. He's trying to strip you down, trying to take away the God identity, the Christ identity that he's put in you. The Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that he's going to be our supply. He's going to supply every need. That he's, he's going to give us the mind of Christ. That we're his slaves, not someone else's slaves. That he who sets, whose son sets free is free indeed. So, so the Spirit of God has already worked that and brought that into us. Don't surrender your identity. Do not surrender your identity. Because that identity that God has given you is powerful and it changes the way you view the future. If I know that I am called by God, if I know that God has His hand on my shoulder, if I know that God has a reason, even if I don't understand the reason why he's put me here in Babylon, even if I don't get what it is that he's trying to get me to do yet, I know that he's going to break through. It's, it's a tough, thick head, but he's going to break through my head and, and give me revelation of why he has me in this place so that I can give him honor and glory through my life. We have to rise up beyond what the world calls us. We are not dependent on them. We are not living in fear. We are not feeling insignificant. And we certainly aren't enslaved to the devil. But these, these Hebrews were being beaten down and, and changed. One of the things they did was they came in and they gave them, they offered them choice meat and wine. That, all, that sounds pretty good to me right now on a Wednesday night, choice meat and wine. So what does that mean? Anybody have a, why would, why would Daniel not accept that meat? Yeah. Lou. Right. It was offered up to the god Bell. In other words, now that we have your identity as slave of Bell, or as we have your identity as, as uh, one whom Bell will protect, now we're going to introduce you to the sacrificial system to Bell so that you can be eating the very meat that we've invoked the name of this demon spirit over, and so you can eat that. And Daniel is repulsed by that. Then he's not repulsed by the fact that it's meat. He's not repulsed by the fact that there's wine. It's not. He's not. Doesn't have. It's, he's. He's not a Nazarite. He doesn't have an, a. a, 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 a um, He's not against drinking alcohol. It's, it's what it is, is he doesn't want any part of the demon spirit that's been called down to bless that meat. But he knows that they don't sacrifice vegetables. And so he tries to find a workaround, right? This is before White Castle had veggie burgers. This is, this is so they say, okay, what, what, what is, if you could, now remember, this. This young man is 16 or 17 years old. That's some, you know, chutzpah, right? To be able to stand up and say, I don't want to eat that stuff, even though it looks and smells great. I know what it was, who it was sacrificed. I see it was on the, de the devil's barbecue over there. I don't want any part of that. 
So I'll ju we'll just eat vegetables. You try it out for 10 days. Give us water and vegetables. I, I, I always laugh when people say, oh, we're going to do the Daniel diet. You know, first of all, there's two different Daniel diets. You know, both of them in the book of Daniel. This is the first of the two. The, the, this, this is drinking Babylonian water. Have you ever seen the water in Babylon? Just, it takes great faith to drink the water in Babylon. In those days, they didn't have water purification. You drank, you drank all the amoebas and all the parasites and everything, came right in with you, you know. That's why the guy says, I don't want to give you that. You'll look horrible in 10 days. Now, even I, and I'm a total carnivore from beginning to end, even I would look okay in 10 days eating vegetables, but not if I had the runs from drinking water, you know, for 10 days. So the practicality of this thing is that, that he knows that the water, but Daniel has faith. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to relinquish himself to this demon barbecue. Rather, he says, I will eat these vegetables. It's an act of faith. Now, I think Daniel, what do you think? Do you think Daniel could have chosen to believe God that the meat was going to be safe for him? Come on. Yeah, I think he could have. I think his faith just wasn't there. He just, he just said, you know, I, I, I'd be better off eating vegetables. You know? What 17-year-old wants to eat vegetables? But there was no flaming Cheetos there, so they, he, had to have, he had to have vegetables. So, so here now the, the Daniel diet is, he, he's a vegetarian that only drinks water. Um, and as a result, God blesses him, gives him favor with the jailer, with the, or the jailer, with the, the guard, gives him favor with him, and he gets supernatural wisdom. They get revelation so that Daniel can understand dreams. They get these, these powerful move, moves of the Spirit in their minds, the giftings of the Spirit in them, as equipment to bear witness. Not for their own entertainment, but as equipment to bear witness. Right there in Nebuchadnezzar's household. Think about that. Think about that. God used, even though Babylon was this great power, God used Babylon, or used Israel to plant these four guys in there to put them in the house of Nebuchadnezzar. King, they're, they're spies in the house to testify to what God has for them. Isn't that what God has done with us? He's put you in the place where you work to spy out the land and to tell people about Jesus. If that's really why God has us there, don't you think we should be telling people about Jesus? I think we should be opening our mouth and, and speaking to people and telling them, hey, you know, I don't, the reason I'm here. I, I remember one person came to me and said, you know, I just got to find a new job. I said, well, did you witness to everybody at the job you're at now? And they said, no, I, I haven't told hardly anybody there about Jesus. Well, what if God has you there to witness to them and you're praying for God, for God to give you a new job, but he's... You haven't done what he's put you there for. You'll never get out of there. You'll be doomed. Like, you'll, be, you'll be like Joseph in, the, in, a, in a cellar. You'll never get free from that place until you open your mouth and start telling people about Jesus. We, that's the purpose that God has for us. You are not supposed to be the people who no one knows are Christian. There's no incognito believers. 
It's wonderful to have a quiet faith. It's wonderful to work with your hands and to be... But if someone asks for the reason, for the hope within you, you have to have a response to them about the reason why God has placed you in that place. And you, and you have to recognize that the reason I'm in the cubicle next to this guy is he probably needs Jesus. The reason I'm working the forklift over here by, with this guy is because he probably needs Jesus. And, and I should be sharing the Lord just conversationally with people. It's a beautiful day. Yes, isn't God good? It doesn't have to, you don't have to give the three reasons and how many angels can dance in the head of a pin and give theological explanation. God's good. God's good. So they're given these gifts, and the scripture says that they rise. It says here that the king talked to them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, which is a while. So, so they are immediately moved after three years of study. It's not instant. After three years of study, after applying themselves, enduring Eating vegetables, after, and the vegetables don't have to, anything to do with the revelation. The revelation comes because they're being obedient to God, because they're open to just bear witness to God. God's going to pour, when you have that on your spirit, that you want to open up and be surrendered to God, God's going to keep pouring that out on you so that you can be the one who's, who's used, because you're open to being used. And so God pours out his spirit on them, and they find themselves being moved further and further and further into positions of influence. Every single believer needs to be a person of influence. That's the reason why we're saved. So when we look at this passage and you see this, we realize that even though it seemed harshly negative, God wanted that to be positive. We're going to go through the book of Daniel and we're going to come to the place where Nebuchadnezzar says, praise the God of heaven. Praise the God of heaven. So Nebuchadnezzar himself will break out in praise to God because of these. Somehow, did he become a full-on believer? I don't know. I don't know. But he recognized the power of the God of Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. He recognized that. And because of that, he had that, that living influence right there. In their life. And they became influencers for the kingdom of God. And I believe that's what we have to pray about as ourselves. What is God moving me up to? What is God moving me up to? He's bringing me out. Avoid the lie of the enemy. Don't get put down underneath the, the slavery, the, the insignificance, the fear. Avoid that and embrace what God has for you. The Christ identity, the, the, the believer's identity, the, the promised identity. It totally makes every bit of difference in the world, as you, especially as you're heading out to the world. So let's, let's pray and ask God for that tonight. Can we do that? Let's pray.
Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.boroughandag.org. Thank you, and God bless.